I didn't feel like that for a long time. I felt like he was mad. He was upset at me and I was living this mad, crazy, wild lifestyle because he was mad. You know, I was, I was the ant and he had the magnifying glass and everywhere I went, smoke was. You know, it's just kind of how I felt and uh, mainly because I ran from God for so long. And I felt like, hey, I'm running from daddy and I'm paying for it. But I did. I did pay for it. And I realized, gosh, I need to go back home. You know, I don't have to live like this. I can go back to a place, even though it's my last resort. You know, God being the last resort, right? I've then tried everything else. And I'm like, all right, you know, I'll go to church. I don't want to do, you know, that's just how it was. But thank God I ran out of everything, right? But I realized I was just away from home. I was, I was a son away from the father's house. And what she's saying is true is he, he's going he's gonna to make you victorious. And if you believe it, man, there ain't nothing can get in your way. There might be some obstacles can get in your way. But it just makes you more, it just brings more perseverance to you. And it makes you tougher. You know, the, the boxers that are, you know, they've got some years on them. Them are the ones you watch out for, right? You're not really worried about the rookies, you know, because they're learning. But them, them older boxers, they can take some pain, and they've been around for a long time. You know, they kind of, they're not a one-rounder. They're, they're like 12 rounds, and they're still hitting hard. That's when they get fired up. That's why I like Rocky, because I feel like that's how we are as humans when we realize that, we can do it. God's got our back. Not, not, not our power, but his power. And by the fifth round, we're just getting started. Come on, devil, what you got? Five rounds, you done ran out of stuff. Now I'm ready. So I did a teaching a while back called The Fight of a Lifetime. And it really, I don't know if you got anything out of it, but it was really messing me up. Because I was doing what, what I was telling you guys not to do. I was throwing, I was wailing my hands, windmilling, right? You know, I wasn't crow hopping, I was windmilling, you know, so first round I didn't even make it. But the word says to stand and resist. That's what my little boy was doing. He was just standing there. He was ready. He had the fire on his gloves. He was ready. So I've learned a different way of fighting. And uh, tonight you're going to hear about a family that absolutely fought for, they fought for everything. They fought for what, what means the best to most of us, and that's family, and that's people that we love and that we're close to and that we want to fight for, right? We don't want to fight them. We want to fight for them. And in my marriage, I've learned not to fight my wife, but to fight for her and her to fight for me because the devil, he's a good, he can get it twisted and you guys be fighting each other, tearing apart your union. And uh, tearing apart that covenant that Christ gave you. But if you can fight for each other, you guys are, you know, Bonnie and Clyde style, you know, not like that. But, you know, I mean, just, I mean, them, you couldn't separate them jokers there, you know. They were a team. They were a unit. And uh, if they got filled with the Holy Ghost, man, you wouldn't stop Bonnie and Clyde, right? And uh, I just, I share that kind of stuff just so you can, that stuff taking me years to learn. And, uh, and it's lots of heartache and lots of, Sleepless nights, I'll just say that. So family dynamic is what I call this segment of, of our term. 
you never realize what any kind of addiction or any bondage that you have in your life, whatever it may be. I'm, I'm talking even to, to, to me, even to the cell phone, you know, for, for me, okay, it's not alcohol, drugs, all this other crazy wild stuff. Now it's, hey, daddy, give me five minutes of your time because you're on your phone. So just, just being real with you. So you never realize what that does to the people around you until you start to ask them. Hey, how is daddy in your life? What do you think about daddy? Am I your hero? You know, and just asking questions. I ask my wife, how am I doing as a husband? And I always think she's going to say, man, you're the best. You are awesome. You're the best one. Because that's what I think. I'm the best girl. What are you talking about? You know, and she tells me, well, you're doing good. But, and I'm like, oh, but what are you talking about? And it's good because it kill, it, it puts us in reality. It brings reality into the situation. So they say 15 people are affected by your life choice. 15 in your circle. You probably have more than 15. Maybe you just have 15. But they, them people are affected, whether you know it or not. And we have Facebook now, so it's kind of accelerated, you know. But most people, um, 15 people that you probably call on the phone, Probably see their face, stuff like that. That's what I'm talking about. So when I was going through the 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 deep, the the wild madness, yeah, they were 15. They were more than 15 because I was a leader, and I would lead people into bad stuff. So I, I would say probably 30. And I began to look around at the people that were close to me, and they all looked kind of like me. They were all kind of doing the same thing I was doing. And I remember thinking to myself, if I weren't in their life, they probably wouldn't be doing the things that they're doing. They wouldn't be wearing the blue do-rag, you know, on the crib set, doing the gangbanger seat. They probably, this one kid, I'll never forget, he was the principal's son, straight-A student. This kid was like Albert Einstein. I mean, he was a brilliant genius. I was like, dude, school is boring, bro. I dropped out. You should drop out. We'll do drugs for a year. Dude drops out. Senior year of high school. Drops out. Good influence. I was a good influence. That's what I thought. But that kid's life, he went through our rehab years ago. And I was thinking, if that kid, if I weren't in his life, he would probably be working for IBM or or some computer, this guy could tear apart a computer and rebuild it. He could build a website. And I mean, he took a different path because I was in his life. So I just think about these people. My cousin, he had never smoked dope or done any kind of drugs until I started bringing him up. You know, he was 12 years old, 13 years old. And the good thing is I went to jail and he moved to Hawaii. Well, he's a Navy SEAL now. He's a medic for the Navy SEALs. So you see what good happened when everybody got away from me. Things began to happen good for people. So that's why I say the family dynamics important because the people that you're in close contact with, your decisions affect their life. I mean, immediately, boom. So when I'm on my phone, you know, and it's, and it's usually something good. Oh, this is good stuff. So now when I get home, I put the phone in the refrigerator, and put it on airplane mode, which is oh, so hard to do. I don't know about you. I'm just going to be honest. It's hard. It's hard to do that, you know, because you're like, what if somebody calls me? What if, you know? But 
these these kids need me. My wife needs me. She wants to talk, you know, and, which is good. That's good stuff. And so I'm trying to make a good impact, right? I'm trying to be the, the, the dad that they need me to be because I don't have to repeat what my daddy did to me. I don't have to repeat that. I don't have to ignore my kids. I don't have to do that. It may be awkward, but I'm going to say, hey, what's up, man? What are you doing? But once I do that, what I've learned is I get in this flow and I'm excited and I hate it when it ends. I'm like, oh, man, you got to go to bed, buddy. And it bums me out because I'm so involved. I'm so just like, oh, this is so fun. This is awesome. Because I didn't have that when I was growing up. Nobody taught me how to be a dad. Actually, I learned pretty bad habit, you know. So anyways, I just want to share this stuff with you. My mom, so when I got out of jail, my mom, uh, I'll tell you this. When I was in jail, of course, you know this. You're looking through a glass window, right? That's what you get. So you got a phone, you talk on the phone. You're sitting there in your cute little jumpsuit, right? Your Versace jump or whatever. You, it's probably made by Port Authority, I think. So you're sitting in your jumpsuit, and my mom looks across, and I could care less about any, anything or anybody going on outside. And she looked at me, and she said, John, your whole life, you've done everything you wanted to do, just been selfish. You'll never know what it's like as a mama to look at your son that you can't touch him, you can't smell him, and you never know if you'll hug him again. You, you'll never know what that feels like. And you could care less. She said, all you've done is caused me pain and harm. And I just sat there and I was thinking, I should probably be really thinking about this, but I was, I could care less. That's how selfish I was. I was so self-centered. All I wanted to do was get out of jail so I can go and do whatever else I wanted to do. All I, that's all I could, I, I didn't care. But now I see when I got out, I tried to do the same kind of stuff. You know, I just, I, I wasn't going to do it as bad. You know, I was just going to do, just do a little bit, you know, just smoke a little weed and just drink a little bit. Nothing big, you know. And as I was trying all that out, God began to really deal with me. And when I gave my life to Jesus, I went to my mom. I called her and I said, hey, I'm coming to your house. And so I drove to her house and I looked her straight in her face. And I said, I can tell you I'm sorry, but that is nothing to you. But I'm going to live the rest of my life for Christ to show you how sorry I am. So I didn't give my life to Jesus for me. It wasn't about me because I knew if I did it for me, it'd be all about me, all about, oh, check me out. Look how good I'm doing. I did it for her because she would cry herself to sleep for, I mean, the whole time, you know, whole time from the time I was 10 to the time I was 27. And so she takes medication because of the abuse and all the stuff I put her through. And so whenever uh, I, I was telling, I think I was telling Roberto this Tuesday. She would slip in the meeting, any, any meeting I would do, she'd slip in the back. And uh, she would just sit there and cry. And I'd go, Mom, stop doing that. When you come to me, you don't have to cry. And she said, I just can't help it. I'm so sorry. And, uh, and so I invited her one more time to a meeting. I was like, God, Mom, you know, everybody's going to think she's so wrong with you. And, uh, you know, but I mean, it was. I did it to her. So she slips in. And uh, I'm just talking just like I am right now. And... 
the Lord said, do you see your mom back there crying? And I was like, yeah, I can't look at her, you know? And so I'm looking at everybody else and he said, I'm healing her from everything you did to her. I am unwinding all them chains you put her in. All them tears are healing tears. And I mean, she was just boohooing back there. And I was thinking, wow, what a good daddy. What a good God that he would allow that situation to be healed. And now we get the best years of our life, right? So anyways, I'll just share that because that was the biggest person that I, my other aunt, I abused her too and used her and took her credit card and spent $20,000 in three months. You know, I was a spender boy. I was, if I could swipe it, I was going to have it. But she passed away right as I began to give my life to Jesus. And it was really hard for her to understand that I really, right? Because I was a flake. I was a flake. I was a phony all the time. You know, I was always a chameleon. Oh, yeah, I'm Jesus. Hey, we're good. If it worked for me, I was whatever. Whatever I needed to do to get by. But um, I wish she could see that I really, really did it. It was genuine. So anyways, um, that's one person. I don't know if you're... Your mom, maybe you've done, you know, that to your mom or dad or sister, brother. You know, I don't know. There's, there's 15 people in your circle. During your process, if you have been born again or you're walking in your new life, you became like a fragile bird, right? That's what uh, Miss Darcy said. You, you're, a, you're a little baby bird. And so... All these environments that you used to go to, they're not good for the baby bird. That's what we'll say, that they will get the baby bird and mess the baby bird up. So I didn't understand that. So I was like, oh yeah, I can go get all my friends saved. I'm gonna go get all them saved. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, by myself, running to their house. And before I knew it, I'm, I'm guzzling and smoking, you know. They're like, hey, I thought you went to church. I oh, just kidding, I didn't go to church. You know, and, and I would feel terrible. Because I knew I was faking. I wasn't doing right. So I said, hold up. This baby bird here is going to have to get some strength. So I called all my friends. Hey, you guys, I love you. We've been through a lot together. We've, you know, we've done some stuff together that most people wouldn't do. You know, we've, we've been in some real bad situations. And you guys are real. They're real friends to me. They weren't the best influence, but they were real friends. So I said, I have got to take a, a hiatus, big, big time, like from you guys. I can't be hanging around. I can't do the drinking. But I'm going to keep in, I'm going to call you. But I can't be coming over. I can't do it. And they, oh, yeah, that's cool, man. No big deal. You know, and some of them didn't understand, which no worries. But that'll be something you have to do. And that's the uncool part. That is really uncool. I went from like a bunch of friends to like a little bit of friends, just a few. Like, yeah, John's on this weird Jesus kick. I don't know how long it's going to last. And, you know, they're still kind of like that. This dude's 16 years. I don't know how long it's going to last. But, uh, you know, you, 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 you'll kind of, you'll kind of, your friends will dwindle down. But that's all right. You'll gain more than you ever lost. I promise you that. I used to think, God, i got to give up all this stuff. But now I'm like, man, I wish I'd have done that faster. Shoot, man, I, I didn't have nothing. All I had was ashes. So, you're going to hear a, a really in-depth story. I'm going to ask them some questions. And it'll really help you kiss goodbye to the people that probably aren't conducive to your recovery. Or to, to the next phase of your life. Whatever that looks like for you. So, nothing wrong with that. 
Nothing wrong with that because you're going to become new. People say, oh, man, you change. Yep, I do it every week. I change every week. Man, if I don't, then I'm going to stay the same. I don't want to be the same. I want to be transformed into his likeness week after week. You know, and some of my friends, they didn't want to change. So it is a little different. You know, the conversation is pretty boring because it's like, hey, you do remember this time? Hey, do you remember this time? Yeah, I remember. I do. I wasn't happy, you know, but I, I, I'm their friend. We're still friends. I'm the only link they have to Christ. They don't know anybody that goes to church. They don't know anybody that's genuine. So I'm the link. So I just keep the door open. That's my open door. I don't cut them off. I don't go to their house. Good thing is I say, hey, bro, I'm a thousand miles away. I can't come to your house. So it's a little better. It's not so offensive. But uh, that's okay. you got to take care of yourself. Your new life requires new friends, which is good. Nothing wrong with that. They call life seasons. And sometimes you'll have, let me tell you this. Somebody told me a long time ago. You'll have friends, certain friends, for a season, a reason, and a lifetime. So there's three groups. Okay? All right? Because I know I've, I've, I've had that happen in my life. The, there's only a few of them that are lifetime friends. And one of them is the guy I went to jail with. We're lifetime for the rest of our lives. I can call him on the phone right now, and we pick up right when we left off. Just like that. I love Jesus. He doesn't know about Jesus. I mean, he doesn't know what he thinks about Jesus. That's okay. We're still, I love him to death. That's my brother. You know, it doesn't change the way I treat him. It doesn't change the way he sees me. You know, it is a little different when I'm writing books. And he's like, oh, you wrote another book. Yeah, man. Yep. Just what God told me to do. I'm just continuing to move forward. You know, I don't blast it to him. I don't push him down. You know, I just genuine. I just try to be the light. So, I'm going to invite our friends up. This is Mr. John and Miss Darcy Raydale. And they're going to share how their story went as some just some different choices began to happen. I'm going to kind of jump just like this. Uh, as a season, as they went through a season. So you guys, they've been married for 17 years. That's a miracle right there. I don't know a bunch of people have been married at all. Um, but they went through a season and, and they learned they learned a lot about God. They learned a lot about themselves. And they actually walked away with some treasure. Isn't that crazy good? That it wasn't just a wasted season, bunch of heartache. It was it was an experience. So I'm going to want to ask them a few different questions. They're going to share as much as they want to share. Um, John, when when did this season kind of begin for you uh, as you walked into this season of uh, of just doing some different choices that, that affected some lifestyle? Uh, first time I've got started drinking was 16 or 17. Uh, I'm 40 now. Uh, I started drinking until I was 21, and I started smoking pot, and basically have continued doing both for 20, well, 23 years. Absolutely. 
Oh, keep going. Uh, how did that affect your home life? Well, at first, we come from small town southwestern Minnesota, where I mean, the closest theater is like 45 minutes away, so it was all drink and party on every weekend, and uh, we went to the same high school and didn't date until she was out of college. Um, but we knew each other and hung out, and what was your question? How did that So. When we first got into it, I think she was under the assumption that, hey, you party, you know, and then we get, yeah, no big deal, and you get into a spot in your life where you change. And uh, I never changed. I remember she came up to me one time and said, you know, when are you going to quit drinking? And I thought exactly what I told her. I said, hey, babe, this is who you married, this is who I am, you know. And um, from that point, she never took that as the right answer. She, she continued to kind of change. I shouldn't say that, just make me realize it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but when we had our first kid uh, 14 years ago, um, that's when we first, I first started seeing the change. I mean, she was into the point where she knew I was drinking a lot and um, she basically, they did everything she could for Charlie to keep him safe and to put all of her time in there. And that was when we first, I first felt that we started drifting away. But um, I mean, there was time when I had a hit and run one time, some guy cut me off and I hit him in the back end. And I had had a few beers and I remember calling her crying. She was at work and she came home and just, I mean, there was little things like that. I mean, this isn't her mom's dryer or what I Anyhow, but the point of it is, is that there were many things that I had done that she was like, man, what is going on here? You know, I grew up with alcoholic parents and family and everybody I knew she grew up in a different relationship like that with her parents and just all of those little things kept pushing us further apart and having I mean I lied. I was a nonstop liar, you know, good one. And then the trust fell apart and it just kept getting worse and worse and then anxiety and depression and I started smoking pot because that was gonna help and get Adderall and then doing too much Adderall and smoking pot and drinking and just trying to cure my own yeah. problems. Self, self, self. What I thought that I was going to do. And um, yeah, I mean, we got to a point where I felt that she had the three kids kind of mama buried the kids and I was this outsider here yeah. when in all actuality I was the one that was isolating yeah. and pushing myself so it got to where there was no trust anymore, and we were super far apart. Awesome. So when, when did it begin to turn? Yeah, I think for me, I went on a journey to from 
confused, being able to think that if I could just say the right thing to him, he would realize what he's doing, um, you know, being angry and being hurt that he wasn't changing, you know, being not able to understand the norm. I mean, it's worth enough for you to change. And um, at some point I realized, because he kind of went through his own thing of, I don't have a problem, I don't have a problem. And then it started to move to, well, I know I need to quit. And then it kind of moved to, I know I need to quit, but I don't know how to. And so it became apparent to me that he really, he wasn't choosing this, he was trapped in it. And as much as I knew that in my mind, it it still, you know, it breaks apart because I I can't do anything to change it. And I really just had to kind of give him over to God and know there was nothing I could do. Um, But we would, you know, we went to a ton of counselors in town to try to help our marriage and I remember being in a counseling session and he walked out of it because he was upset he didn't want to be there. And I looked at the counselor and I said, what am I supposed to do? And she just said, he's not ready and you're gonna have to figure out where that line of sand is for you. And and then, you know, make that decision when he crosses it. And I think I prayed, you know, so many times to God just to heal him and, and save our marriage and you know, seeing my kids, obviously, I wanted to have them have that relationship, and um, I didn't know what that line was, maybe because I was scared to set something, <laughs> because then it would help me accountable to it, too. Um, but this last summer, we were going to go on a trip to Colorado, we were going to drive there as a family, and um, he was late getting home as usual, and when he flew in the door five minutes before we left, he shoulder going or angry stuff like that and she realized that and we got 
you know, she just said things weren't going to change. She ended up catching me at meetups. And the one question I'll never forget is she's like, you know, you're not even living with me anymore. We're on our verge of getting a divorce. And she said, you still can't tell me the truth. Why can't you tell me the truth? And I just sat there. I remember I could not answer that question. I, I, I was, at that point, I realized that the, my lies were, well, most of my life was a lie at that point because I had everything I was doing. So the next day, um, I ended up calling the head pastor here, Pastor Skipworth, and I said, man, I, I, I'm in a bad spot and I need some help. And he's like, well, let's get you back to the team challenge because I went through team challenge short term, right, two years ago. I said, man, that's, it's, it's just not right. It's too close to home. It's too close to everything. I need something that's really going to shake me up. So he had a friend that runs New Day Recovery down in uh, Western Grove, Louisiana. And he called and he said, what can you get here? And I said, next Friday. He said, get here before Friday. I'm like, all right. So we made a ticket for Thursday. I ended up getting drunk the next day. And I just... I said, I can't do this anymore. And I switched the ticket to leave on Tuesday because I knew exactly what I was going to do for the rest of the week. Yeah. It was going to be the exact same thing. And I said, so I got down there, and it's a very faith-based, like in the counseling sessions, that everything. And that's really what I wanted because I was raised in church. I wasn't raised in Christ, I like to say. Yeah. But I knew that that was the only thing that was going to help me. Because there was nothing that I've done for the last 22 years that was going to get it done. No. Yeah. So I really dove into it, and um, there was just something there that my counselor was saying. She said, every time you mention your wife, you're angry. And every time we would talk for the first two weeks, I mean, it would just we'd get off the phone. And I, I remember sitting after two weeks after one phone call, and I was laying in bed just crying and just being like, God. I can't do it. There's nothing that I can do. This is going to, I mean, and my family was my life, even though I wasn't treating them, right? I mean, that was everything to me. And I thought, if I don't have them, then what do I have, you know? So between that night, the next day, I talked to my counselor. We had one session where I was bawling, and the bitterness and anger that I had in my heart all came out. I was freed from that, and then that night at an Assembly of God church down there, I had a altar call that shook my life, you know, yeah. just yeah. released, had a pastor pray on me, and just released everything in my life, changed from that night, it, it, there was peace, yeah. there was, like an intervention, oh, absolutely, and, you know, wasn't shaking or going crazy or anything like that, but it was truly the point where I asked the Holy Spirit to come in my body and out of me. And from that point on, um, I don't remember having anxiety or depression ever since that night. Um, our conversation switched. My, she wanted me to go to a uh, outpatient treatment or a sober house when I got back here. And at that point in time, I was like, you know what, whatever I can do to do it, I'll do it, you know? And it was, I was ready. Yeah. And our conversation started to change. And I'm just, I was praying much more and reading the Bible all the time. And just
because things were finally starting to fall into place. Yeah. And I went through the whole 30 days with not one thought of getting out of there. I was just like, man, I'm gonna get every, I came a thousand miles, I'm gonna get all my money's worth. Yeah, absolutely. So I ended up leaving Western Rome and flew to Atlanta. And when I landed there, I got a text saying that the sober living house would not accept me because I had a house job and I had stuff like that and I remember mm -hmm. kind of frustrated that man you know this kind of stinks because she didn't want us to go with the exact same thing when I got a team challenge I came and then eight days later I'm already using yeah. it yeah. so she wanted to try a different approach and I remember saying to her you know just I'm praying to God about all this I pray if this is what you want me to do then this is what I'm going to yeah. do you know just willing yeah just and I'm like I will look on Monday if there's other places, but let's just, you know, not jump into something. So I got home that Friday night, slept on the couch, and while I was in there, I was reading a book called Everyone's Man, Every Man's Marriage, and it was about submitting to your wife. And I realized at that point in time that I, all the stuff of her pushing me away had nothing to do with her pushing away with me. I was not emotionally connecting to her. I, all of my actions were pushing her away. Yeah. And I realized that I had to change at that point. I got back and I remember going in the bedroom that morning and just laying it all out and saying, I'll do what you want me to. I don't want to lose this. I'm sorry for everything that I did. Um, and just had a good hour long conversation. And from then we had a great weekend together and Things have just kind of been on the up since then, and I never ended up going to the sober living, and yeah, yeah. just by making just by making life choices, just simple, practical, you know, just working what you learn. I think the, the biggest thing was was the bitterness and the anger I had in my heart. Every time she would do something, I would just instantly feel like, well, if you're going to do that, then I'm going to do this, and if you can truly release that from yeah. your heart, yeah. I mean, that's when forgiveness and healing starts yeah. after that. That was the biggest hurdle in my whole addiction was that me thinking it should be one way yeah. when I was just being selfish as heck. Yeah. How are the kids? You guys have three kids, right? Yeah. Three kids. Uh, came back, the oldest is 14. He was, he, Fortunately, he was kind of in the middle of it between me and mom. We would talk back and forth. The youngest one was just okay, but the middle one's a nine-year-old. And when I went to Teen Challenge the first time, he told her that I'm going for dad's has anxiety and depression and didn't really tell her the truth. Yeah. And when I got back, she, we are probably the closest me and her until that time. She didn't want to wait put her to bed or anything like that for like two years, or excuse me, two months. And I felt it, and she just said, man, she's like, you lied to me, you guys lied to me, and we had been going to a counseling session and say, you know, give us some things to work on with her, and I finally did, and you know, after those two months, I said, I'm sorry, I did lie to you, there's no reason for it, you know, and just started asking her questions. Yeah. And when we would answer them honestly, it's it's great. I've never had a relationship with my children like I do now. I was and I was always
always sent out of my land, always out there. I was never home. I didn't go to teacher conferences like we did today, and I didn't take her places. She never relied on me for anything. One, because I probably was drunk or high. Yeah. Two, he was never going to be there. So to be able to uh, shoulder some of that load, I feel like I finally started to be a father and a husband like a dad. Does that feel good, that responsibility? It does. It's, I still don't, I'm very lucky to have a woman like Darcy just because, I mean, that she was born to be a mother, to be a nurturer for her patience and kindness. And I mean, all of her patience is why she's still here today. You know, there's a lot of people that wouldn't have done it, but I think this whole process was not only for me, but she said it before about just trusting in God that yeah. he's going to change. So you got restoration with your kids, with your wife. You guys are closer, loving Jesus. Yes, and, and spiritually, um, we we talk about God with the kids all the time. We pray every night together. I continue to go to two CR meetings. Um, I come Wednesday and Thursday night. Overcomers go to church on Sunday and just. She said that one of her friends was saying, oh man, he must be really white knuckling if he's gotta go to all those meetings. But what I'm taking out of this is that I wasn't put in this situation by chance. Yeah. I mean, God put me through this, one, to be a better father, a better husband, but also to use it. So I go to, just to be in front of these people and say that there is hope yeah. and potentially someday leading leading a CR group or something like that, to use the story that was put in front of me to help somebody else. And if I can do that, then hopefully all those years of pain and what I put other people through is gonna be a benefit to somebody else. And uh, no, it's not a pain to go to those meetings, man. It's, it's, it's enjoyable and just to be able to spread a little hope. Yeah, I mean, because at that one point in time, I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. Yeah. I can't imagine the next day without smoking or drinking. I mean, that's just what I did. Yeah. And now, as of today, I'm 204 days sober, which in 22 years. Yeah, absolutely right. 
That is such a great story. I know we just gave a round of applause. Can we do a whole more? Hopefully you guys 
don't have ADD. But that right there, to me, that, that encourages me so much because it's so real. It can happen to every one of you. It can happen to any of us. All it is is receive, move forward. Receive, move forward. There's going to be a lot. Oh, I know what the thought was. See, you start talking and your thoughts start coming back in your head. The good ones, right? Not the bad ones. Because them, them fly in and you just let them fly out, right? Don't let the bird stay in the nest, right? Don't build a nest for the bird. So what, what he did is he invested. He began to invest. Hey, I'm coming to Overcomers on Thursday. I'm investing in my recovery. Hey, I'm going to research. Man, I'm going to make it out of here. Bro, ain't nobody going to hold me down again. Yeah, you may have stole my marriage, and you may have stole this and stole that. You ain't stealing from me no more. And that is where he said, you know what? I ain't doing this no more. It's done. And I know there's many people here and, you know, outside of here that said, you know what? I'm going to do whatever it takes. And them are the ones you can't stop. And when they tell you their story, they say, hey, I was here and now I'm here. And you go, yeah, I would never thought that because they were willing to do whatever. And they were the ones, you know. So anyways, we're going to have a little time of prayer and just a little worship time. And then we're going to dismiss. So if, if you want some prayer, you want anything, anything of that nature. Uh, I like what he said. It wasn't uh, the special kind of pastor. He just prayed for him. God just moved. And you never know when that moment's going to happen. But I can tell you, for me, and probably for John, I went up there every time. Is it now? Well, I'm coming up there, you know. And that's what I did. I would always make myself available to God. Lord, I'm here. What do you want to do? And so... Me and a few other people, we're going to be up here. If you want prayer, we'll certainly pray for you, okay? I'm going to pray for us. Father, what a wonderful atmosphere you set here. I know every individual here, whether they know you personally or not, they can feel you. And that's so great, Lord, that you allow that to happen. That's called the presence of God. And Lord, I thank you that your Holy Spirit is highlighting areas, Lord. Even in my life that, hey, I need some prayer about this or... Lord, would you move in this area? Oh, Lord, I need some help over here. God, I pray that they would stand up and, and be bold enough to believe that you can do miracles. That you can even answer the smallest prayer. Lord, I pray that faith would be in this room in the name of Jesus. Amen.